I'm Adam. This is 10K to Go. Let's talk about the World Championship Road Race and Time Trial. Before we really dive in, just a couple announcements. We got some exciting stuff coming up with some great interviews. The recent interviews that we've done have, have really been a success. We've had great feedback, and I really appreciate everybody tuning in and checking it out and sending me their tips and advice. Going forward, if you have any ideas or guests you'd like to hear from or content you'd like to hear, send me a message on Instagram. Handle is at 10km to go podcast. I'd love to hear from you, hear any ideas or uh, suggestions. Okay, with the World Championships, it's a full week of nonstop racing. I didn't want to cover all of it in just one episode. And I also didn't want to wait the full week and have to go back and cover some of what at that point would have been a week old. So we're at a good pause. We're at a good break in the racing. It's Friday afternoon. We're going to talk about Sunday through Friday's racing. And then there's really only two races left to talk about. And that will be part two. Those two races are the elite women's road race and the elite men's road race. Okay. So the World Championship Road Race and Time Trial is held in uh, Yorkshire, England this year. Rotates every year like most big sporting events. Yorkshire, geographically speaking, is kind of right smack in the middle of that big island. Uh, Not too far from the Scottish border, kind of straight across from the Isle of Man. If you ask me, and look, I don't know a whole lot about the United Kingdom, but if you ask me, holding any sort of outdoor sporting event in Yorkshire in late September is not just a gamble for bad weather. I would say your odds are pretty good that it's going to have bad weather. I understand they, they put in a bid for it. They probably made a strong case for it and, uh, it was time to rotate the world championships over to British soil. But as long as it's held in September, I think it was a bad call and we saw plenty of, uh, consequences for that bad call this week. Okay, everything kicked off on Sunday. First event, the mixed time trial. I had to pause there to make sure I was saying it right because this is not actually a real event. It's never happened before. They just made it up. This is the first time it's ever been done. In previous world championships, they would have a trade team time trial, or in other words, your normal team that you ride for, Ineos or Sunweb or... Movistar, you would you would actually bring your team time trial squad and you would race as a trade team and if you won the team time trial you your team would get the rainbow bands for winning that. However, this year for some reason they tried to y- they decided to yank that out and replace it with this newfangled race called the mixed time trial or the mixed relay. So here's how it works. Each country that's participating chooses 3 women and 3 men. They don't line up together, though. They line up independently. Uh, The course is a 14-kilometer lap, and the men go first. So the three men line up actually in a lane on the start ramp, and the start ramp has multiple lanes. So they they line up in their lane on the start ramp. The the timer goes off. The three men roll down the course. They do a a three-man team time trial. The time is taken when the second man crosses the finish line. So... Uh, strategically speaking, they could they could shed one rider if he wanted to, you know, blow himself up early, or if somebody has a mechanical or a crash, they can lose one. That's fine. The time is stopped when the second finisher crosses the line. Here's where it gets funny. 
each team had sensors on their bike. When the bikes came within 200 meters of the finish line, when the men had 200 meters to go, there was a stoplight at the starting line for the women where they would be lined up in their lane. So the men hit 200 meters to go. All of a sudden, the stoplight for the women turns orange. This gives them a warning. They, uh, it's about time to go. When the second finisher crosses the line, the, uh, the light turns green for the women. So as soon as the second man from the team finishes, the women can go. That's why they call it a relay. So then the women roll down the ramp. They've got the 14-kilometer lap to race. They have three women. They can shed one. And the finishing time is taken when the second finisher crosses the line, cumulative of both the, ma the male and female team. Sounds kind of fun, right? You know, shake it up, try something different. Sure, this could showcase which, which uh, countries are deep in both men and women's time trialing. Yeah, except, no, it didn't work like that. You want to know how much the pro riders and the pro teams cared about this race? Just about zero. You want to know how many nations entered this race? Only 10. Okay, here's, uh, here's the, the countries that showed up with a squad for this race. Spain, Belgium, Denmark, Germany, Britain, Netherlands, Italy, Slovenia, Switzerland, France. Okay, that's not a world championship mixed relay race. That's like a sum of Europe championship mixed relay race. It, I mean, it just was a joke. Okay, so that's all right. Spain, Germany, Netherlands, you know... Belgium, we, we got some of the best teams in the world, right? Certainly, we're going to have all the big-name time trialers. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, really, the only big names that were on any of these um, these teams, and forgive me if I forget somebody, I, I'm sure I will, but some of the big names that jumped out for me, Elia Viviani, not who comes to mind when you think of a time trialer. Tony Martin, okay, absolutely, maybe one of the greatest ever, but he's past his prime. He, uh, he's just... He's just doing it out of the kindness of his heart, I imagine. Bakmalama, uh, okay. Tade Pogachar, that's great. Uh, definitely a big name right now, but not a time trial specialist. And he's young, you know, he just wanted to probably get in on some of the festivities and then Jonathan Castro Viejo. After that, I didn't really recognize many names at all. Here's the next thing that's silly about this race. So the Netherlands wins it. Congrats, that's great. They get up on the stage, they're, they're given their rainbow band jerseys, how special, you know, they're, they're world champs. Cool. When are you going to showcase that jersey exactly? At what race later in the year are you going to be able to put on those rainbow bands and race in them and show people that you're the mixed relay world champion? The answer is never. You're never going to wear that. You're never going to get to show it off. You're never going to showcase it for your team because it's not a real race. It's just a silly joke. Good job, UCI. Uh, taking something that is so cool, a team time trial, and deciding for whatever reason to throw it away and replace it with this newfangled something, whatever. I don't know. It was just just silly. Anyway, Bachmalama is now a world time trial champ. Congrats to him. That's pretty cool. I, I bet he uh, never expected that. Okay, so that kicked, off, uh, that kicked off the week. That was on Sunday. Monday, junior time trial. The junior time trial was really fun to watch because it was just, it was chaotic. Not chaotic, but it just had great highlight reels. You know, a lot of times time trials don't have highlight reels. You don't need to watch any of it. Really, you just open up the news, read the article, see who won, see what the time gaps were, see who missed their start ramp time, see, you know, who went out too hard, see who had a mechanical, those type of things. However, this junior time trial for both men and women, it was a pretty good spectating event. Here's what I'm getting at. 
in the junior women, this Russian competitor, I'll probably get her name wrong, Agol Gariva, she's just ripping this course open, just flying. She's almost done. She's got just a couple turns left to head up to the finish line, and she completely blows a corner. Like, doesn't even, it's not like she takes it wrong. She just doesn't even know the corner's there. She's probably seeing stars at this point, and she, she can't even think straight. She's supposed to take a 90 degree right, and she just goes straight through it. Luckily, there's a, uh, uh, course volunteer that starts yelling at her she she's on a tt bike she gets on the brake slows it down does a u-turn on this tt bike slow as can be they're, they're terrible for handling it. you know it's, it's tricky she gets it around she gets back on the course accelerates gets up to speed comes across the finish line and wins the race by 3.6 seconds i mean if that's not domination i don't know what is so cool what would not have been cool is if she lost the race by any margin. You know, if she lost that race by one second or a half a second or or five seconds or who knows, you know, anything less than 10 seconds, it would have been so devastating because she had it all locked up by a huge margin, blows a turn, has to U-turn, has to come back. But talk about bragging rights, still wins it by 3.6 seconds. If that wasn't dramatic enough, it's like the junior men's race had to one-up it. So this Italian competitor Antonio Tiberi or Tiberi Antonio he rolls down the ramp he doesn't even get to take one pedal stroke I, I mean you watch him come down the ramp and he's immediately just looking down at his at his pedals at his cranks trying to trying to spin him around trying to clip in you can tell something's wrong he's just fiddling with his bike just coasting down the road with the momentum that he got from the start ramp you can tell something's up problem is he's got like 150 meters before he can access his team car because it's like this, you know, starting shoot lined with spectators. So he just coasts down this section. He gets to the end of this uh, 150 meter straight stretch where he's going to take a, a hard right and get on the course. And, and his team car is waiting for him right there. He rolls up, swings his leg off the bike, hands him the bike. Meanwhile, his director or his mechanic or somebody's just, you can tell they're just stressed out of their mind. He's sprinting all around a car like a, like an angry hummingbird, pulls a spare bike off. Meanwhile, this Antonio kid, just cool as can be, reaches over, grabs his Garmin off his bike, sets it on the new bike, waits a second, somebody grabs his water bottles off his old bike, puts it on, okay, no sweat, swings a leg over, gets clipped in, they give him a push start, he starts going. I mean, what a shame. This kid was partic was uh, expected to go, you know, maybe top five or top eight or something, definitely a competitor. He wasn't the overwhelming favorite by any means, but... You've got to think he's just crushed at this point, but he doesn't worry about it. He just starts tapping out the rhythm, and he starts pulling this time back. I mean, by the time he finally got on his bike, I want to say he, uh, and he went through the first time check, he was like 45 seconds off the leader. He was way off, off the leader. But then he goes through the next time check, and it's 30 seconds, and then 15 seconds, and then 5 seconds. And people realize, oh my goodness, this guy's having the ride of his life. Uh... Fast forward to the finish, he comes through, he wins the time trial by seven seconds. Again, talk about domination. And not just domination, but what a level head. Just so cool about it. Wins the time trial by seven seconds. Uh, for the Americans that care, Quinn Simmons, who's just a total freak show, to be honest. Uh, he, he's our great white hope. Um, he puts down a great time trial. He was actually hitting all the same time splits as the leader. He was in contention to uh, maybe go for the win as well until right at the end. He had just been going too hard, and he faded and, and lost a bunch of time, and he ended up finishing fourth. But 
top five for American Quinn Simmons and just a spectacular performance from the Italian to win it. Uh, a few days later, actually, Trek Segafredo announced that they signed this Antonio kid for a two-year contract, but not starting until 2021. Kind of weird. You know, he's got the rest of this year, and then he's got a full season next year to race somewhere, but not with Trek. Trek's reason for that is they want him to get some uh, GC team leadership experience at the small on a small stage before they bring him up. So they obviously have high hopes for this kid. All right, that was on Monday. So on Tuesday is where we really saw the full brunt of the decision to hold a fall world championship race in rainy England. It's pouring. Okay, it had been drizzly all leading up to this race, and most of the days had a little moisture. The ground was usually wet, but on Tuesday, I think it had just poured all night. There's standing water all over the road. The water's like flooded up to the curb in a lot of places. Absolute torrential downpour the entire day. And it's the U23 uh, men's time trial. So these time trial bikes are the worst bikes for safety, for handling, for, for keeping a hold of them in the best conditions. When you got to go out in this torrential downpour riding through these city streets that are painted with, uh, you know, that street paint, now they're wet and they're standing water. I mean, that's, that's actually a safety hazard at this point. When you're in the U23 ranks at this point, you know, I don't know, probably a third of the field are already riding for pro teams. Maybe another third or maybe a little less have already signed with pro teams and they're, they're heading that direction for the world tour. I mean, you're, you're talking about some of the best of the best that have this future ahead of them and, and you're going to put them out on this course on a time trial bike where they're racing for all the marbles and they're standing water everywhere i mean it's just a recipe for for heartbreak and disaster and i think it looked i think it reflected really poorly on a lot of different organizations but anyway so yeah these uh these poor u23 men they they took the brunt of it uh so Going into this men's U23 race, it was really just a, uh, a three-horse race, as far as most people could tell. The three big hitters in this race were American Brandon McNulty, who's been racing for uh, the Continental, Pro Continental Team Rally UHC for two or three years. Ian Garrison, who's been racing for Hoggins Berman Action, uh, an American Continental Team. And Mikkel Bjerg, a Danish rider who's also been racing racing for Hoggins Berman Action. The reason everyone expected this to be just a three-horse race between these guys is because they've been fighting it out for years now. In uh, three years ago, when Worlds was held in Doha, Qatar, as juniors, these are the three competitors that finished on the podium together. Brandon actually won it. He beat Mikkel Bjerg, and uh, Ian Garrison finished in third. The next couple years... Things didn't go as well for Brandon, and it was kind of hit or miss here and there, but Mikkel Bjerg won as a U23 the first year he joined those ranks, and then he won again last year. So coming into Yorkshire this year, Mikkel Bjerg is the two-time defending U23 time trial champ. He's already set the Danish hour record, and he's been very outspoken that he plans on going for the world hour record very soon. A lot of the powers that be and the people that know what they're talking about have said that they fully expect him to uh, have a legitimate chance at taking the world hour record. He's he's just, he's a once-in-a-generation talent when it comes to time trialing, for sure. Brandon is still putting down great results. He's just not had a lot of luck lately with putting it together on race day, so he was a little bit of a question mark. Ian Garrison, however, has been firing on great form. Not only did he win the U23 national title this summer, 
he won the pro title as well, beating numerous world tour riders uh, at the U.S. Nationals. So it was going to be exciting. Unfortunately, they had to do it in an absolute downpour. So they go out. I don't know what you expect. I don't know how you prepare for that. I don't know how you keep your head in the game, but these guys just handled it like professionals, and, and they went as hard as they could. There's some pretty spectacular footage on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube of some other poor souls in the race that didn't have so much luck. There was one guy who was should have stayed left on the road because the entire right side of the road was flooded. For some reason, he went straight into the flooded area and uh, just yard sailed everywhere into the water. Boom, splash, bike is flying through the air. He's, I mean, the guy's swimming at this point. He sits up. It's like he's sitting in a bathtub and he doesn't even know what hit him. There's another guy who's coming way way too well not too fast i mean it's a bike race so it's what you're supposed to do but he's going full speed hits a patch of water i think he must have hydroplaned for a second or or started sliding he slips down off of his saddle now he's sitting on the top tube of his bike he's fishtailing all over the road the bike's going sideways and inevitably he hits the deck as well so uh fast forward to the end u23 men's time trial how does it finish Mikel Bjerg becomes the first ever three-time U23 world champion. Ian Garrison comes in second place, and Brandon McNulty only about a second behind Ian. So fantastic showing for the States. Two guys on the podium, almost a dead tie, and what a performance by Mikel Bjerg. First time ever having a three-time champion as a U23. Looking into the future, it's exciting because Mikel Bjerg and Brandon McNulty have both signed with UAE. Uh, I want to say for a three-year contract. So we're going to see them as teammates. Maybe we'll get to see them in a team time trial together. Maybe see them in some grand tours together. It's going to be fun. Okay, later Tuesday was the elite women's time trial. At that point, luckily, the rain had stopped. But, of course, there was still water everywhere. Uh, Just cue the same lecture I just gave about safety and hazards and time trial bikes and all of that. But now we're talking about the elite women's race. So going into the race, there's one clear favorite, Annemiek van Vluten. She's from the Netherlands. She's the two-time defending champ. She can win on any time trial course. If it's a hilly course, a flat course, she's from the Netherlands. She can ride in weather. It doesn't matter. This, this woman just dominates. She's, uh, I don't know, maybe 33 or 35. I mean, she's not young, but it's not, obviously not slowing her down. The next favorite would be Anna van der Breggen, also Dutch from the Netherlands. She's been the runner-up three different times, and uh, you know, always playing second fiddle. But you just know that one of these years it's going to be her. These two Dutch competitors, Annemiek van Vluten and Anna van der Breggen, are one of the most overwhelming and strongest names in women's cycling. I mean, they're they're always contending for the win. They're always just smashing races. It'll actually be really fun to watch them do their thing in uh, in the women's road race. But on Tuesday was the time trial. Okay. Besides those two overwhelming favorites, there was a handful of others that they knew would be strong competitors. Uh, at the top of that list was American Chloe Digert-Owen. You might recognize the name because about a month or month and a half ago, there was the Women's Colorado Classic, a, a four-day stage race in Colorado. Numerous uh, World Tour pro women came to race. Chloe Digert-Owen 
she won every single stage and she didn't do it in this you know methodical calculated sit in let her team do all the work and then she slip across the line at the end no 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 she was she was the new eddie Merckx in this race just riding off the front halfway through saying all right i'm gonna go now and just riding away so that happens in the first stage is like a sprint stage but then they're heading to the mountains and and her competitors competitors are saying oh, no problem we got her in the mountains nope she smoked them she won every single stage and it was it was just this huge coming out party for her She's been a big name in the sport for a while. She's set numerous world records on the track. She's won the world title on the track before, but she's also had some really significant injuries that took her off the bike. She's only 22. She's really young, but she's kind of a mystery uh, in terms of how she's going to fare in the elite women. But they knew she'd be a competitor in the uh, in the time trial. So Van Vluten and Van der Breggen go out. They put down some good times. Van Vluten doesn't have the best race of her life. She says afterwards that her legs didn't feel great, but uh, she put down a, a decent time. And then Chloe Digard owen Also, side note, that last name Owen is because she's married to Logan Owen, who we've talked about in the uh, Vuelta podcast. He's, been ra- he's racing for EF Education first, so talk about a power couple. Logan Owen and Chloe Digard owen both taking the, uh, the cycling world by, by storm. So Chloe goes out on the course. She says after the race that one of her biggest advantages is that she didn't race with the power meter. I don't know exactly why that's an advantage. Maybe she just means she didn't let the numbers get in her head, and if she felt good, she just went hard, and that's exactly what she did. She just starts crushing this course. Within a couple of minutes, she chases, she catches the rider that started before her, you know, a minute or two, and she starts catching rider after rider and you look at footage of this she blows by these poor girls like like they're standing still at the end she ends up catching seven or eight different uh competitors who had started before her her finishing time would have placed her 11th in the uh under 23 men's time trial so almost a top 10 finish in the men's had she raced with them and she ends up stomping the women's time trial race she wins it by over a minute and a half which is the largest var- uh, margin of victory in an elite time trial since the event was introduced to the world championships in the early 90s previously fabio uh Consolara had the record and and now it's chloe dagger owen and she didn't just win it against some you know some no names she beat annamiek van vluten the two-time defending champ and Anna van der breggen which are are legends in the sport right now I mean, what does that do to your confidence when you're a 22 year old, you just take down probably two of your cycling idols and then your, your name is starting to be put in the record books next to, to legends like Fabian Cancellara. I mean, just so cool. It's a really, uh, it's an exciting time for American cycling. All right. Now we're on to Wednesday. Wednesday, we get the elite men's time trial. The biggest story going into the elite men's time trial is Rowan Dennis. Rowan Dennis won the uh, time trial last year. He's the defending champion. He's Everybody knows he's one of the best. He's definitely going to be the race favorite. But that's not what they're talking about. The only thing they're talking about with Rowan Dennis is that in the tour, in July, he's brought to the tour by his team, Bahrain Merida. Obviously, they bring him primarily because they want him to win the time trial stage. You know, that's that's a huge uh, win for sponsors and for a team. And you... you pay that guy and you hired that guy for that one reason they bring him and the day before the time trial 
all of a sudden you start hearing this this and that on social medias and it turns out they had some sort of shakeout, some fight. Nobody knows what happened. Uh, Rowan Dennis quits the race that day, walks out of the bus, goes to his car, leaves. Nobody knows what happened. He says, no, I'm, I'm out. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm, I'm not racing the tour. The day before the time trial, the day before really the whole reason he had been brought to that race. Nobody knows what's going on. His team doesn't even know. His, his team directors are saying, yeah, we, we don't really know. We, we haven't talked to him. He just, he just left. At the highest level of the sport, it's, it's just so weird for that to happen. Then these rumors start coming out that he refused to race on the Merida bike because he says it's slow or it's dangerous or it's not stable at high speeds. And since he's the best in the world, he only wants to race on the best equipment. He doesn't want to subject himself to you know, lower quality gear or, or something that might jeopardize his safety. I get that, but you're an employee. And you know who's writing your checks? The bike sponsor. So going into the world uh, championship time trial, that's on everybody's mind. What is Rowan Dennis going to do? What's he going to be riding? Uh, you know, his team and and him probably have a really terrible relationship at this point. I, I would assume it's almost certain he won't be riding for them next year. But what's going to happen? He's, he's not there riding for his trade team. He's there riding for Australia. Uh, but, you know, what's going to happen? Well, here's what happens. He shows up with a different bike. He shows up with a BMC time machine, which is the same bike that he won the world title on last year. Obviously, obviously he loves it. He's done a lot of training and testing on it. He feels it's the best bike for him. So he has this bike, and he's blacked out all the branding. It has no logos on it, but that's the gear he wants to run. That's technically not against the rules. He's not riding for his trade team. He's riding for his national team. And there's no rule that says you have to use your trade team's gear. But you know what? You're still an employee of your trade team. And that's just what people do. You wear your trade team's helmet, which has your colors. Sometimes you might even put your, their logo on your kit. And you wear your uh, team issue, you ride your team issued bike. So it was a big slap in the face for Rowan Dennis to show up on, on something else. And, you know, it just elevated the uh, tension going into this race. Well, the other story is Remco Evenepoel, the, the, the wonder boy from Belgium. The kid's only 19. Last year, he raced world as a junior and won the time trial and the road race. So think of this. 12 months ago, he's racing the juniors. 12 months later, he's racing with the elite men in the time trial and the road race. Oh, and he's one he's on the short list for race favorites to win both of them. The kid the kid's just spectacular. So Remco Havenopol, he's he's one of the favorites for a race for the race. Um, fast forward to the end. There's really no drama during the race except that Rowan Dennis just absolutely smashes it. It's funny during the race, uh, commentators and on Twitter people are saying that, wow, Rowan Dennis is going full Chloe Diger on this race, and I kind of chuckled about that. I mean, when's the last time the best male time trialist in the world was compared to a 22-year-old American female time trialist instead of the other way around? I mean, it just speaks volumes. So Rowan Dennis smashes a race, wins by over a minute, catches a bunch of the people in front of him, including Primoz Roglic, which is, I mean, bittersweet. Primoz is definitely one of the best time trialists in the world. Uh, you know, nice of him to show up and compete in this race for his country but you can tell his legs were just destroyed from the vuelta still he had he had nothing and uh rowan dennis caught him right on the finishing line so all of the uh pictures that were captured of rowan dennis winning the time trial you can see primos roglic kind of hanging his head in the background it's kind of sad 
Rem- Remco Evenepoel has a great race, has a spectacular race, and he finishes second. He's a minute and eight seconds down from Rowan Dennis, so he gets smoked, but he did smoke everyone else. And then uh, Filippo Ghana from Italy got third. All right, Thursday, junior men's road race. This was cool. As an American, this is one of the coolest things we've seen in a long time. I get it. It's just a junior road race, but this is a uh, this is a hint of what is to come in the future. Not always. Just because somebody wins or does well in a junior road race doesn't mean they're going to excel at the uh, elite level, but, you know, it helps. And the U.S. sent a dream team of talent. So all year at the junior level, Team USA has had this squad of junior riders, four or five of them, that have just been manhandling people everywhere they go. They've, they've been sweeping podiums. They've been going, you know, first and third on the stage, first and second overall in GC, winning multiple jerseys. I mean, they just having their way with people. And, uh, and so they were the clear, overwhelming favorites for this race. The, the primary hitters for the team were going to be Michael Garrison, which is the younger brother of Ian Garrison, Quinn Simmons, and Magnus Sheffield. So the Thursday race starts for the junior road race, and it's it's nasty. It's it's spit it's spitting rain. It's dry. It's raining hard. It's dry. It's windy. It's just terrible conditions, and it's hard. You can tell that these guys are just uh, they're just on their limit for most of the day, and and this peloton just gets shredded and it's falling apart, and people getting popped off the back, and then a split in the peloton, and the peloton gets smaller and smaller, and until there's just kind of shambles uh, remaining. And the majority of that damage is being caused by the Americans. It was an absolute thing of beauty. These these guys, three or four of them, are just sitting on the front of this race, putting everyone in the gutter. Just everyone is hanging on by their fingernails, and the Americans just won't stop with the hammer. I mean, they just keep smashing and uh, just doing so much damage, and it was so cool. But, you know, in the back of your mind, you're thinking... Hey, guys, take it easy. I mean, I get it. You're strong. I get it. You're the race favorite. But, you know, don't ride yourself into the ground and then somebody come around you and win the race. I mean, this only works if it works in the long run. So, anyway, they spend most of the race just controlling everything. Everyone's Everyone else is riding defensively because they know that Quinn Simmons is the race favorite. By the way, Quinn Simmons is a, a junior, so he's either 17 or 18. I mean, he turns 18 this year. The kid has a full red beard. He looks like he's 27. I don't get it. I mean, I'm sure he got called into anti-doping to get tested for uh, for performance-enhancing enhancing drugs, but uh, they got to ask him what he's using to grow that beard because it is, it's not natural. Um, so anyway, from 33 kilometers out, Quinn Simmons, who's kind of uh, directing the team, he's shouting out orders. You can you can see him. He's yelling at yelling at his boys like, "Let's go, let's go!" You know, they had a little gap and they opened it up. Pretty soon, it's a smaller group of four or five or six guys, and and there's two or three Americans in it, and they're just in total control. They got this race in a chokehold, and with 33k to go, Quinn Simmons launches off the front in a bold bold move. I mean, when you want to go from 33 to k to left. It's a total gamble. I mean, you're you're putting all your chips in the middle of the table because if it goes wrong, you're probably not going to sal- salvage that. He jumps hard on the steep hill. Uh, an Italian tries to go with him, and he just can't. Magnus Sheffield was the hero of this race. Magnus Sheffield had spent, I don't know, he probably, of the entire race, Magnus Sheffield was on the front probably 30% of the race, just doing everything for Team USA, 
doing everything Quinn Simmons asked him, and he just wouldn't go away. There was a couple times he got dropped a little bit, clawed his way back, and got right back on the front. Then he'd you know get distance, and he'd crawl back and get on the front again. I mean, the kid was just so strong. So Quinn Simmons jumps with 33K to go. Magnus Sheffield looks at this Italian, and, and he can immediately see this Italian doesn't have it. He doesn't have it. And Magnus Sheffield, in my opinion, he totally could have gone. He could have jumped across and got on Simmons' wheel, and it would have been an American one-two show all the way to the finish line. But Magnus Sheffield, not only can I not say enough about how strong he is, I can't say enough about what a savvy and uh, smart racer is. Racer he is because he did the right thing. He said, "No, no, no, I don't need to try to be. I don't need to try to go for glory. I need to be a teammate." And he just sat by that Italian and waited and let Quinn Simmons go. And, you know, that's probably a good thing because if all of a sudden with 33K to go, there's two Americans off the front together, everybody responds differently to that. You know, everybody panics. When Quinn Simmons went off by the front by himself, I'm sure there was, you know, most of the Italian team that was thinking, eh, he can't hold that. We still got our numbers. We can pull it back. We got plenty of time. But if uh, two Americans got off the front together, you know, who knows, maybe everyone immediately tries to shut it down. So... Quinn gets a gap. He gets out to about 30 seconds. It's hovering 30, 25, 32. It's, it's sitting there a while. I mean, it, it's not locked down at all, but he's looking so strong. Uh, eventually, an Italian jumps out, and he, he tries to uh, bridge the gap up to Simmons. His name's Alessio Martinelli, and he tries and tries, but Ole Simmons is just too strong. Magnus Sheffield drops back. He's now with, with a group of, I don't know, eight or ten riders, and he's just kind of monitoring the situation. Simmons is off the front. He's soloing to victory. He's got it locked up. He comes in. He wins the race. First American medal for the juniors at the World Championship since 1993, which, side note, is the year that Lance Armstrong was a world champion. And it's the first time they won it since 1991. Really cool. What else is cool? That Italian never caught him. He comes in second. And then the group comes in for a group sprint. And guess who wins the group sprint? Magnus Sheffield, the Energizer Bunny. The kid who just won't go away. Still had the best sprint in the bunch. And he uh, rounds out the podium. So Americans lock down first and third on the podium. Okay. Friday morning, we had the junior women's road race. Uh, not much to say here except Megan Jastrub is this young American girl. She rides for, Yow- for Rally UHC. She's only 17 or 18, and she has just been winning. She can't help but win. Everywhere she goes, all year, she's been winning. She's been winning crits. She's been winning road races. She's been winning in the States. She wins in Europe. It doesn't matter. It's like it's like nobody told her you're not supposed to win every race you enter, and she just shows up and takes care of business. So she's the overwhelming favorite coming into this race. There's no big breaks. There's no you know big splits that stay away. Uh, summarize things quickly. It comes down to a group sprint. And Megan Jastrub is your 2019 junior women's road race champion in Yorkshire, England. Uh, uh, Julie DeWild from Belgium and somebody from the Netherlands that I can't say their name finishes third. So it's just surrounded by powerhouse cycling countries. America brings home another gold medal and another podium. So at this point, you're not going to believe this, but the United States is winning the medal count in this year's world championships. Uh, we might even be leading the gold medal count, maybe not, but the overall medal count we're leading. There's still lots of racing to be done, and we're probably not going to finish at the top, but what a total turnaround in just one year in our performance compared to prior years. Final race I want to talk about in this episode, sorry it's been a long one, is uh, the men's U23 road race. 
we'll wrap it up after this and then the next episode we'll just talk about the two big ones elite women and elite men okay so men's u23 road race it's friday weather starts turning bad again drizzly spitting rain and uh it's not pretty, but there's a lot of guys that thrive in a road race in those conditions. There's a lot of guys that don't, but you know the ones that like the bad weather were licking their chops. So the race is really hard. Now, like I said earlier in the time trial, a huge number of the ra- of the uh, athletes in this race, they're already racing world tour level. I mean, there's guys on uh, Sunweb wearing Sunweb helmets. You saw Dimension Data helmets. You saw Movistar equipment. I mean we've there's so much talent in this race it's not at all like the young guns that hope to make it someday no 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 a lot of these guys they've already made it they just still qualify to race in the u23s the united states has got a really good squad they got brandon mcnulty who's going to uae we got ian garrison uh both of those guys finished on the podium of the time trial uh there's a handful of other guys that are extremely talented who have um we've got a kevin vermark who won the u23 liege bastone liege this year I mean, they're deep, and they knew it, and they came to this race thinking that it was theirs to lose. So the race starts, and, you know, it's hard, it's this and that. I mean, they're racing from the gun, they're racing aggressively. The United States is trying to control things, and something slips up, and a group of 13 strong riders gets away off the front. I mean, this isn't just a bunch of nobodies. There's there are strong riders from all the big teams, from all the, from all the big countries. Belgium's in there, Germany, Italy, Netherlands. Uh, Britain, they're they're all in there, and it's early in the race, and the United States already hits the panic button. They put their whole team on the front, and for, geez, I don't know, 20 or 30, 40 miles, they are the only ones doing all the work on the front, burning up Brandon McNulty, burning up Garrison, burning up Vermark. Everybody's having to take a turn. They're in the rain and just going all out to try to pull this group back because they know that if they don't, the race is over. So. I get it. You're the race favorite or one of the race favorites. You've got the numbers. You've got the talent. You're thinking, you know, we can just uh, we can just pull this back. We'll take care of it. But you look over your shoulder and you've got other countries that are just just watching, not doing anything. I don't even think they were all represented in the in that front group. But I don't know. You you got to think that at some point you you recalibrate because so you pull them back. If you're all burnt up by the time you pull them back, cool, you've lost a race anyway. So ah, it made me really nervous watching this and, and because it wasn't a quick thing. They tried to shut it down, and, and they really weren't making progress. That, that gap was out about 45 seconds, 50 seconds, 55. It got a little over a minute. Then they realized, okay, all right, we're, we're not pulling this back right away. We need to just keep it right around a minute until we get to this one big climb. When we get to the one big climb, that little group's going to be tired enough that they're going to come back to us and we have the strength and numbers in the field that we can close down most of that gap on the climb. Well, that climb is from like 40K to the line. So there was a lot of racing to be done until they, uh, until they got to the climb. Meanwhile, USA just tried to hold that gap at about a minute and they're just burning matches right and left. Well, sure enough, they get to the climb just like they expected. That lead group starts splintering and falling apart. You know, there's, there's just carnage all over the road. And uh, people are getting spit out the back of the field because USA has been drilling it for so long. I mean, it's a good race. It's a great race. The United States tries to attack up the hill. Things break up. They try to come across. It's just, it just turns into total chaos. It turns into total chaos. The, the break 
still has a handful of guys working together that stays away. And before you know it, half the United States team gets dropped on that hill. They get separated. They're not working together. They're gassed. Boom, dropped. All of a sudden, we don't see Brandon. All of a sudden, we don't see Vermark. Who knows where Garrison's at? It's just, it's just like slipping through their fingers at that point. They get over the climb. They get organized the field a, a reduced field is back together all right you know maybe things are okay but you can tell everyone is just they don't have a lot left in the tank and uh there's still a break up the road it's not that far up the road but it's, it's up the road so they get on top of this climb and now you have these howling crosswinds we've talked a lot about crosswinds during the vuelta and they just wreak wreak havoc on people so these crosswinds come in it's blowing rain everyone's blown from hammering for so long and sure enough, inevitably, there's a split. And guess who doesn't make the split? The entire USA team. It was devastating. I mean, the team that had sat on the front for the majority of the race up until that point had done all the work because they thought it was their race to lose. When it comes time to make the final selection in that crosswind, they couldn't do it, and they missed it. They missed the break. And look, not to spoil the ending, but that's all she wrote for Team USA at that point. Vermark tries to get across. He tries valiantly in a, in a little chase group, and they got within like 15 or 20 seconds at one point, but then it, it, uh, the gap opens back up and never to be seen or heard from again. And uh, gosh, as an American cycling fan, it was, it was so hard to watch because McNulty was one of the pre-race favorites, and Garrison has been racing so well, on, and Vermark is, has such a bright future for for them to get stuck on the front like that and burn all their matches and then get gapped in a crosswind was just, it was so sad. And, you know, hindsight bias is twenty twenty, but I got to say, guys, what do you expect? If you sit on the front for more than half of the race in the rain, chasing a break full gas, it's never going to go your way. So I don't know. I'm not a professional. I don't know what I'm talking about, but I think the director made the wrong call in that. I, I think the road captain made the wrong call. They should have chased for a little while and then uh, just gambled and sat up and said, hey, if anybody else wants to chase, go for it, but we've done our job. I don't know. They definitely would have They would have uh, not been in any worse situation than they are this morning or this, uh, this afternoon after the race. So anyway, that, uh, that break up the road gets joined by a few others. It turns into just back and forth, breaks off the front, they get caught, people getting dropped, then a split here. Fantastic racing. If you want some really high-quality road race entertainment, go watch the men's U23 race from today. You, you won't regret it. But uh, the big drama is with something like 100K to go. So before any of this has happened, there's a big Dutch guy. His name's Nils Ekoff. Uh he rides for Sunweb. He's a full-blown pro. He's a superstar, or he's going to be a superstar. He gets he gets spit out the back of the peloton for, I don't know, I think he had a flat or something, whatever. He gets in the convoy of cars. He's pacing the cars. He's on the bumper. He's, he's barely sitting on these bumpers. He's going from one car to the next to get back up. He comes next to one of the cars. He grabs a bottle. It's a sticky bottle for sure, meaning he holds onto the bottle for a long time, and the, the director in the car kind of gives him a little bit of a tow. Look, that happens. Is it cheating? Yep, sure is. But it's kind of one of those unspoken things that, yeah, you can do it, just don't abuse it. Well, I guess he abused it because the UCI saw the recording and they didn't like it. But good old UCI, they don't bother saying anything during the race. They don't radio to the car and say, hey, he cheated, pull him out, he's disqualified. No, 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 nobody says a peep. They just let him keep doing his thing. 
fast forward he makes this the, he makes it up the hill he makes a split in the crosswind he makes the final selection he's in the chase he's in the run into the finish it's a run in of about i don't know seven or eight guys uh tons of talent tom pitcock is there uh sergio iguita the stage winner from the wealth is there it's a group sprint and uh and this kid wins it nils ekoff from from the netherlands he wins the race in a group sprint his hands are up in the air i mean he's probably almost in tears he's thrilled and then the word comes down that the race film is being reviewed, potential disqualification, and then the UCI comes down with the ruling. Yep, you're disqualified. Paced the cars too long, took a sticky bottle, get out of here. I mean, that's pathetic. That's just pathetic. You can't. You saw this on film with 100K to go. You leave him in the race. You let him influence the race all the way through. You let him chase people. You let him close down gaps. You let him pace other people. I mean... From that far out, you're going to let this guy stay in the race, turn himself inside out, go through winning the race, winning the group sprint, and then yank it away from him. If you didn't have, if it wasn't clear enough that he cheated from 100K to go when it happened and you didn't pull him then, you missed your chance. It just seems like the UCI just picks and chooses when they, when they apply their rules. If he had finished in the, you know, a uh, 10th, would they have disqualified him? I guarantee you they wouldn't. So, so... They delay the podium. Um, eventually, they, when they announce he's disqualified, they reshuffle everything. And now it's Samuel Battistella from Italy. He wins it. Uh, a Swiss rider in second. And Tom Pidcock, actually from Yorkshire, right there in that, in that town, he rounds out the podium. So congratulations to them. Fantastic. I mean, all of them had a phenomenal race. They made all those selections when they need to, needed to. They, they were there at the end. But... Uh, they weren't the first to cross the finish line. And the UCI, they didn't call the kid out when they should have, and they missed their chance. And it just, it, they just have egg on their face. There's there's a footage from earlier uh, in the week during the time trial where they have these UCI commissars going through the time trial tent, measuring the length of people's socks and pulling their socks down, saying, oh, those socks are too long. They're against the rules. They made Remco pull his socks down for the time trial because they were, they were too tall. Those are the rules that they want to enforce, and then they pull some nonsense like this. It's, it's crazy. Anyway, uh, that's the World Championships, part one. A couple days from now, we'll round out part two with the elite men and the elite women. Go back and watch some of these races. They're fantastic. Until next time. <laughs>